and thank you guys for worshiping and enjoy your time of teaching. All right, well, um, hopefully we enjoyed getting a little glimpse of uh, the worship and, and story that our kids go through. Um, one of the things that we are really excited about, I mean, we sing about in Christ alone, but um, we want our kids to, to understand that everything that we do is about uh, Jesus. And so we're excited about that for the curriculum. Another thing that we're really excited about in that is the, the resources that come for parents. Um, so uh, there's a lot of resources that go home to help you to kind of reinforce the lessons with the kids. So you'll be getting that week after week. Another thing, there is a Bible that goes along um, with the story. So um, we actually have some of these on hand if you would love uh, to be able to purchase one of those. Um, we have some of them back at your kids' classrooms or at the connection point table. Uh, but finally, what I would say um, is when you got these cards about kind of our relaunch, it is awesome to have a great curriculum um, and you can have the best, most uh, wonderful curriculum uh, in all the world. Uh, but the really thing that makes the ministry happen to our kids uh, is the people. If we don't have the teachers, if we don't have the helpers that are there to both create an environment that is loving, an environment that is safe and secure for our kids, uh, and that teaches them uh, about uh, the love of Jesus by action as well as by words, um, then uh, the curriculum doesn't mean anything. So I want to really encourage us. Uh, encourage us. Uh, you got a couple cards on the way. The serving one Paul talked about. Uh, this one, there's a spot to fill in some things on the back. Uh, we didn't collect them at offering. If you put them in that bag, that'd be awesome. Um, but when we come to take communion later, there's some gray baskets on the tables. As we come to remember what Christ has given us in the cross, it's an opportunity to maybe give an offering of a different sort, of our time, uh, to be there and to be a part of what God's doing in the lives of our families. So, all right. Last week, we had a great time out in the park. Hopefully, uh, many of you were here for that. Um, that was a great time. One of the things that we do, uh, there's some pictures if you missed it, but really use that time for connecting in community over the summer. So that's the last time we've done that for the summer. Uh, really great to meet some of you out there. Um, but like I said, we still want to connect with you um, here in the theater as well. So we've given you the ways to do that. But one of the things we miss out in the park is our teaching. Um, and so this morning, we're going to get into some uh, teaching. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open to the book of Romans, uh, chapter 3. Romans is in your New Testament. Um, and if you need a Bible, put up your hand. We want everybody to have a Bible. Um, we're not going to have the main passages up on the screen this morning. Um, and so we want everybody to have a Bible to turn to and uh, that you can go back throughout the week to look at. So if you need a Bible, put up your hand. Um, we have a physical Bible for you, or you can also use uh, your smartphone uh, if you have the app or some other Bible app on it. Romans chapter 3 is where we'll be uh, today. We are in our uh, series called The Gospel. Okay, we've been in this series. Today is part three, so we've had two weeks that you can uh, listen to online. If you missed the first two, we want uh, the, the message of the gospel really does build, and so we'd love for you to catch up on the first two if today is the first one that you're catching. But we're going to talk about the gospel. And church, if you've been here, you know that the gospel means what? Good news. Let's sound a little bit more excited about, okay? The gospel means what? Good news. All right. This is the good news that Jesus Christ died for sinful people, and he rose again to give us new life. And this is what we believe is truly good news in our life. So throughout this series, we hope that we will grasp on to what we mean uh, when we say the gospel, because sometimes it's this churchy word that we talk about all the time, but what does it really mean? So we want everybody to understand this is what we mean when we say the gospel. It's the good news that Jesus died and that he rose again, and because he did, he gives us the opportunity to as well. 
This is the gospel. We want to grasp it. We want to uh, trust. We want to build our faith. We want to live each day in view of the gospel because the gospel is more than just a ticket into heaven. It's something that we live in view of every day and transforms our lives day after day. And finally, if you've been here, we know that we have had this challenge, the gospel challenge, uh, to share the gospel in words with somebody uh, throughout this series. Now, for many of us, we know that's kind of a daunting thing. We get fearful. We shy away from it. Maybe you have never done it or haven't done it in a long time. And so we just said, hey, we want to encourage us. We want to be praying for. So uh, if there's somebody that you can be praying for to share the gospel with, write their name down uh, on your notes or fill it out on the app where you can put in prayer requests. We want to be praying with you and then encourage you or even challenge you to say, uh, share the gospel in words with somebody. And if you're struggling with that, maybe just think about why. Is it because you don't know what to say? Is it because you're fearful of it or aren't really inspired to? What's, what's going on there? We want to make us Think about that. Because really what we envision as a church here is that, that we are to be a disciple-making movement here in the heart of Davis that, that is engaging with the non-believing world here. We're not just here uh, for church people to kind of get our church fix each week, but, but to be built up and, and to be the ones who are part of that disciple-making movement here in Davis, engaging with our non-believing world that they might have uh, eternal life in Jesus, maybe like we are experiencing and enjoying. So we're praying for that. And uh, today we're going to talk about Jesus. Part three of the gospel is Christ. And we're going to talk about how it is, uh, why it is that we trust in him, why it is that we follow him, why it is that we boldly go out and proclaim his name, whether it's on Sunday morning or out uh, in our relationships. And so let me pray for us as we get into this, um, and then we'll uh, carry on with the message this morning. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for each person that is here, that we've come to this place to uh, get a glimpse of you um, or to maybe find some help in life, and we don't even know what that looks like. Um, but God, I know you want to meet with us this morning. So God, this morning, I, I plead, I beg, I, I ask you to come and to meet with the people that are gathered here. God, I am very well aware that I can't convince anybody of anything. But what I ask is that you would come, God, and that you would uh, do your work that you do, that you would open our eyes, that you would open our hearts to understand the gift that you have given us in your son, Jesus Christ, the hope that we have, the joy that we have, the way that you're calling us to leave. So God, come and do a work in us. God, I also pray for us as we we think about sharing the gospel for those maybe that do have somebody on their mind and on their heart. God, I pray that you would open our eyes right now to see who it is that you would want to work in and who it is that you would want to use us to do that work and give us boldness, give us courage this week, maybe to step out there and to engage in a gospel conversation. And if we're needing help with that, God, I pray that this church would be a place where we continually help and encourage uh, each other to be who you've called us to be. Uh, so, God, we pray that you would come and that you would work in us and that you would work through us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, when I was growing up, there was an illustration that was commonly used to share the gospel. 
Uh, if you grew up in church, you may have uh, heard or seen this before, or maybe you've even used it to share the gospel with somebody. It's the, the bridge illustration that um, we've become aware of. And one of the things that I remember hearing about this is that um, people used to share in the, a restaurant. Um, and so sometimes they would even grab a napkin and they would begin drawing it out and go something like this. In the beginning was God. And God is this big, awesome, wonderful God who one day he created man and woman to have a relationship with him. And everybody was uh, happy and, and wonderful and things were great. But then something happened. Sin came in. Sin and disobedience by people. And it, it created this chasm. That, that destroyed the relationship, that, that separated God from, man, it caused sadness and there was no more happiness and tears were flowing. And the thing is, whatever it is that we try to do, there's nothing that we can do to reach over to God. Sin leads to death. And even when we try our hardest, we can't get there. But God did something. God reached out to us. He sent his son Jesus. For God so loved the world, it says in John 3.16, that uh, he sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish in sin but live to have new life. And so God created a way through Jesus where we can come back to him. He reached out. He bridged the gap. He covered that chasm. He covered over our sin. And now there is a way where we can get back with God and happiness can be restored. God created a way, but... Ultimately, it comes down to you. What is your response? What is your personal decision? That's the, gospel, that's the bridge illustration there. And uh, what I'm doing by sharing this is not necessarily saying this is how you should go and share the gospel with people, although uh, maybe you find that helpful. I think it, for me, it's very clear to be able to say, okay, what are the four parts of the gospel we're talking about that we need to share something about? So we need to know something about God and his greatness. We need to know something about man and our sinfulness. We need to know something about Christ and what he has done that we can get back to God. And uh, we need to have it be a personal response. You're not saved by what you, uh, the church that you go to or the family you were raised in. It's a personal response where we need to come to trust and have faith in Jesus. So it's a very visual thing. If you're a visual person, maybe it helps you to remember those parts. Um, but here's the thing. Something like this can work pretty well in like a church culture because we're a little bit more familiar with words like God and, and sin and Jesus. Um, you know, picture that this used to work kind of in a culture like Bible Belt in the 1990s, okay? Big hair, everything, okay? Where there's an understanding that, okay, I should go to church. I, I know there's a God of some sort. I know I've done bad things, and I really should uh, do more to get right with him. That's kind of an area where, like, okay, it's just kind of defining those terms. But what about when you go and you want to share this message with your sister, your friend, your neighbor? If you've done this recently, had a conversation with somebody in a coffee shop, you may mention some of these terms. You see, it goes beyond the, the original illustration that we have to realize there's lots of questions. So when you say God and Christ and sin, not everybody's there. There's some other chasms uh, that first need to be crossed, questions that people have. So when we talk about God or we talk about the creator, like in our video this morning, there are probably some people here that are thinking like, okay, but I don't know if I really believe that. Is there a God? Who is God? What's he like? Is he loving or is he just fearful? 
that I'm supposed to fear. Like, there's these questions about God, so not everybody's on the same page with God. And so what Christians often do is we open our Bibles and say, well, the Bible says, but you want to know what? There's a whole nother chasm where, where people uh, need to be bridged across to say, the Bible, well, that's just written by a bunch of men. Why should I hear what it says, but why should I believe it? And so there's these other chasms to cross. Then you go to the man side of things, where one of the things from the time that we are babies, we are taught that we are the center of the universe, that everything revolves around us. Everything was created for us. Rather than what we need to teach is that God created everything for his glory, even us, that we are uh, creatures, not creators. But sometimes it gets to the extent where we start saying, okay, God is really here for me, for my comfort, for my kingdom. And we make man the big one. We make ourselves big and God is here to serve us rather than what the Bible teaches. So sometimes we live in that type of culture. Or other times when we mention sin, well, what is right and wrong? Who defines that standard? I mean, I think I'm relatively good. We know there's some bad things, but what is sin? Does sin even exist or is there really any real truth. Now these are questions that uh, it makes sense to me why we're so intimidated to, uh, to have these conversations out there. Uh, because we look at this and we say, man, even if I knew the four-part gospel, somebody is going to just kind of devastate me with their questions and I don't know the answer. But here is what I want us to grasp. Because that is the culture that we are called to reach. But rather than answer every question, I think what makes the ultimate difference is having a greater view of Christ. A greater view of Jesus. A greater understanding of who he is. Because when we see his greatness, sometimes some of those other questions, even though we can't wrap our heads around them, begin to fall away in view of the fact that we have met Jesus and that we can walk with him. And so today what my hope is, is that I would raise our view of Jesus not to answer all of these questions logically for us, but to just raise our view of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. Now, I have got a daunting task in front of me because you don't want to be here all day. And the Apostle Paul, it says uh, in uh, the book of Corinthians, he was telling the church in Corinth, he said, you remember when I was with you for that year and a half and all I did was talk about Jesus Christ and him crucified and Jesus Christ and him crucified. He took about a year and a half to cover that material. I've got about maybe another 30 minutes here or less. And so we're going to breeze through some things, but hopefully at the end we will see Jesus more clearly and God will do a work within us. Who is Jesus Christ? Christ. Now you may not know this, but the word Christ uh, comes from a Greek word for Savior. So when we think of Jesus Christ, we're not just thinking of some a guy that was named Jesus or Jesus, whatever uh, cultural background may be, but we are um, looking at the Christ, the Savior, one who uh, people looked forward to for many generations that would come and save from the brokenness of this world. He's also the one that now we look back to and we celebrate as the one who came and saved us from the brokenness that we have in our lives and in this world. So I need to give us kind of a bit of a theology lesson here. 
It's going to be a little bit dense, I'm telling you right now. And of course, it happened to be on the day when we don't have coffee out in the lobby. And so uh, stick with me. And uh, don't worry, there will be coffee back next week in a big way. It's kind of like, you know, the gospel. First, there comes some bad news that there's no coffee this week. Next week, there will be some good news. So show up next week and you'll get some really good coffee. I, I promise you that. Um, but anyway, who is Christ? Because sometimes we make these assumptions in the church. That everybody knows who we're talking about. That we're all on the same page. I want to take some time to get us on the same page. When we talk about Jesus Christ, who is it that we're talking about? We have a statement of faith that you can read online. Um, and also a larger doctrinal statement. If you go to our homepage, discoverydavis.org, you can find it right there with some scriptures. But here is what it says about Jesus Christ. We believe... As a church, that Jesus Christ is both fully God and fully man. Jesus lived a sin sinless life, died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, physically arose from the grave and ascended to heaven where he is representative to God on our behalf. One day Jesus will return to earth as the victorious Lord. Jesus Christ is the one and only Son of God who died for our sins and arose from the dead. We believe that. The forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life are available to all those who trust Christ and Savior and Lord. We believe that. And those accepting Christ should repent of sin, confess their faith, and be baptized into him. We believe that. So who is Jesus? Jesus has eternally existed as God. Before he came and walked on this earth, Jesus existed in the beginning as the second person of what we call the Trinity, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. My kids come home and they uh, have this line that says, Jesus is God and God is Jesus, um, which is kind of partially correct because Jesus is God, but God is a little bit more than Jesus. God is Father, Son, Jesus, and Holy Spirit uh, together. We believe that Jesus was there in the beginning. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, meaning and speaking of Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Colossians 1 says, For by Him, speaking of Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. We believe that Jesus has existed eternally as God. And as it says in Philippians 2, that one day he came and made his dwelling among men. That he left his position in the eternal heavens and he came and he walked here among us. Which leads to the second thing we need to know about Jesus Christ. Is that he is fully human. He came and he took on flesh fully and completely human. He was conceived in the womb of a human mother. Miraculously, by the work of the Holy Spirit, and there's lots that we could say about that, but what we want to be clear is that he was born of a human mother, making him effectively human. He has, just as we have, a human body. As a child, he grew and became strong. As he grew older, he increased in wisdom and stature. We see his humanness when uh, we read that he was wearied by a journey, just like we may be wearied. He was hungry when he was tempted. He, when he was dying on the cross, he cried out and said, I thirst. 
His body was, in every respect, just like ours. Jesus' mind was like ours as well. He went through the process of learning as other children do. Like a normal child, he learned to do things such as talk, read, write, and eat, and even learn from his parents about the things of the Father. Jesus was fully human. He felt the full range of emotions. emotions. He wept. He marveled. He cried out to God that he wouldn't have to face certain things. But in the end, he was perfect in every, like us in every way except one, in that he didn't sin. He perfectly carried out the will of the Father and lived a perfect life all the way to obedience to his death on the cross. Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus was fully human, and we can take great comfort in that as we go through things that Jesus literally walked those steps with us, except he lived a perfect life unlike us. So at this point, maybe some of us say, okay, I can, I can get that. Jesus was a human. I thought about that a lot anyway. You know, he was a good teacher. He was an example to follow. He taught good things that we should follow in our life. But we need to grasp the next point too, that he is fully God. He was not conceived by a human father, but by the Holy Spirit. We talked a couple weeks ago about sin and how the sin of Adam, the first man, is passed down to every human being. But because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, he was not born in the natural way, but in the supernatural work of God, the virgin birth, as we call it. The Bible states that Jesus is fully God. Now, this is what, if you believe in the Bible, uh, we must believe this, because this is what the Bible teaches. You may not believe the Bible, and uh, so you have to process through this thing, but if we Believe in the Bible. The Bible clearly states that Jesus is fully God. Colossians 2.9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Did uh, Jesus, some people will say, uh, I was actually, um, we are doing a prayer walk the other day and ended up having a conversation with a guy and, and you know, he, was, he knew his Bible very well. Lots of people know the Bible without having faith and he knew his Bible very well. And he was uh, trying to tell you, he said, well, Jesus never said he was God. But the statement where Jesus says that he is God is this. Uh, because he was talking to some of the religious leaders in John chapter 8. And the religious leaders said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. A reference back to a verse in Exodus where God letting himself be known to Moses. Simply said, I am who I am. The religious leaders knew what Jesus was saying because they picked up stones and wanted to stone him for blasphemy. Jesus claimed to be God. So if he was simply a teacher, he was a crazy one. In Revelation, at the end of the Bible, it says that Jesus comes back and he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. As it says in Philippians chapter 2, that God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now for God to say, worship Jesus, a God who does not share his glory with another, the Bible clearly is saying that Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully God and fully man in one person. 
eternal God who came and made his dwelling among us. This is the greatest miracle of all. That a God as great as we've talked about him being a few weeks ago would come into the brokenness of this world. See, God is not a lofty God that just stays distant. He is the God who comes to us. That is an amazing miracle. And because Jesus was fully God and fully man, he was able to do something that no person on earth could ever do for themselves or for everyone else, and that Jesus is fully able to solve your sin problem. Jesus is fully able. You see, if all we sing about is kind of a nice idea that gives us some fluffy emotions, at the end of it all, it's kind of a sad thing. But if Jesus is able to do what he says that he can do, well, then that is something that's transformational. To grasp not only who Jesus is, but to grasp what he's accomplished. We're going to go into the Bible to Romans chapter 3. We've been looking at um, a few passages in Romans up to this point. Romans is a book that was written to an early church in Rome by the Apostle Paul. It's a very kind of intellectual treatise that's written so that we might grasp logically and put some of these things together. Paul has been talking in the first couple chapters about our sin problem. And he says, hey, look around us. No one is righteous. No one is perfect. If God's standard is perfection, no one meets it, religious or not, because we all fall short. No one is righteous, not one. And we talked about this sin a couple weeks ago, where we really need to grasp that reality, that's a condition that we find ourselves in. We need to understand the bad news of sin so that we can really grasp the good news of what comes in Jesus. So picking it up in Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 19, it says this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be accountable to God. For by works of the law... No human being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. What he's saying is that, okay, what the Bible does, especially in the Old Testament, it points out the law that God would want us to keep, his perfect standard. And so what the religious people did is kept trying to meet that standard. But what he's saying is, hey, look at our history, Jews. Look at our history, history Israel which the whole Old Testament shows their failure. And so Paul makes the point that, hey, by works of the law, by doing what the Bible says, none of us are going to be perfect because we keep failing to do it. None of us will be righteous, which means what we deserve is death because a holy God is separated from an unholy people. But we thank God for these times in Scripture where it says, but, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, it's the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. 
because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Big passage that we need to understand. Some big words. There's a lot in here, but a few things that I want to point out to us is, okay, have we come to this understanding that we cannot be righteous in and of ourselves? That we need God to do something on our behalf. I've shared with many of you that this summer I I hiked through the Grand Canyon. Um, 16 miles, um, the last eight of them I describe as misery. Okay, those are the ones when you have to come back up. Okay, the last three I would define as life-changing misery because I'm not in the best shape that I used to be. Uh, picture like 100-degree heat uh, coming back up over 4,000 mi- uh, 4, miles. That would really be bad. 4,000 feet of elevation. And I'll tell you, when you, if any of you have ever done this, you may know that when you come to the top of the trail, that's where all the, the last couple miles are where all the tourists are. And so uh, they're coming down, and they're only hiking about a mile down into the canyon. Now remember, this is like the end of our hike. And so uh, everyone's coming down all giddy and talking about how great their day. Oh, how's your day going, this and that. And I tell you, for those last couple miles, um, this may have been sinful, but I, I put my head down, and I was kind of not quite cursing them, but um, basically just kind of like these people, I'm hating them right now. Because they're all giddy and I'm suffering and I'm struggling uh, under the heat and under the pressure and under my backpack. But you want to know what I kept saying? My, I can do this. I'm John Riker. I can put one foot over another and I will get there. Gosh darn it. I will get there eventually. Even if night falls, I will get there. And many of you have the same mentality that When it comes and things get really hard, we put our heads down and we'll get it done. One step after another, we're confident we will get it done. It's the American way, all right? We can can do this. I was in a Chamber of Commerce meeting this week uh, here in our city. And it was talking about all the innovators and they said, we are Davis. We get things done. Because we often go back and rest on our skills and on our abilities. But here's, here's the reality. When it comes to reaching a perfect standard, it's one thing that we cannot do. That is a chasm that we cannot cross. No matter how much we put our head down and focus on getting it done. And many of us recognize our sin problem in that. You know, when we look at the probability of this next week of us sinning, we probably say, 100%. I can't do it. I'm trying to do it. I'm trying to do it. But here is where... God comes and he says, but now a righteousness of God has been manifested apart from just the doing and the trying. It says the Old Testament spoke about this and pointed to this. He says the righteousness of God is available through faith in Jesus Christ for all who would believe. Faith in who Jesus is. Belief in who he is. Because the things that we talked about, God being fully man, fully God, able to say, I mean, those aren't the types of things that we like, consider natural and easy to believe when we really think about it. And in fact, if you have come to believe, it is a faith from God that allows us to believe. 
and to trust in who Jesus is. And that is our way to salvation, believing and trusting in what Jesus has done. For there's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The standard that God's given us is perfection. And the reality is that one day we will stand before a holy and perfect God. And we'll stand there either on our own accounting and trying to make our case that we were righteous, or we will depend and trust in the righteousness of Jesus. Because what God has said is that we can trust in him because of what he did on his cross. What is it that he accomplished? One of the things he says that we have been justified by his grace as a gift. We even sang uh, those words, just our kids sang those words in justify. Do we even know what that means? Sometimes we sing these songs and we don't really know what the words mean. And so we sing them half-heartedly because they don't really sink in deep. What does it mean to be justified? It means that justice is demanded for wrongdoing. Justice must be paid. And we must either pay for our own wrongdoing or depend on what Jesus has done. To be justified means this, to be legally declared perfect. It's a law room setting, a law room term. To be legally declared perfect and righteous. Uh, picture it this way. Back in January, I had a uh, pretty bad car accident. I was okay. The car was not. Totaled, it was. And so I got on the phone with the insurance company, and um, I had heard this thing called accident forgiveness. Um, about this idea that even if you had an accident, if you've been in good standing, well, maybe we'll just forget about that. Your rates won't climb. Um, and so I asked the agent, well, what about accident forgiveness? And she, of course, said, well, that doesn't apply here. And uh, so I knew what was on my record now. They knew about it. It was very well known. And uh, I, I was going to have to live with that record. But imagine if the insurance executive were to call me and said, okay, I see your record, Mr. Reichert. Um, you're accountable for that. The price needs to be paid for that. We can't just wipe it away because uh, that would be lying. Um, it wouldn't kind of meet the demands that, hey, something has to be paid here. Um, but here's what I have. I have a, another person here who has a perfect record, not a single violation, not a single speeding ticket or anything. How about this? How about we just swap your names? And we take your record, we give it to him. We take his perfect record, we give it to you. The price is being paid, but it's not being paid by you anymore. That's a picture of justification, that we can't expect an insurance agent to do that anytime soon. But God has declared it so in the cross of Christ. Because he can and he has by sending Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 says, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting our trespasses against us. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 3 says, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Hebrews 10 
For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being made holy. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside by nailing it to his cross. He has taken what is unrighteous and made it righteous through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Jesus, who was perfect, giving us his record, him taking our record, the guilt, the shame, nailing it to his cross once and for all. We are justified, declared legally perfect in God's eyes by the cross of Jesus. What else did Jesus accomplish? It says that it has been accomplished through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This word redemption means to be freed from your past. To be made new. To live in freedom. It comes from an old term uh, regarding ransom and slavery. And the fact that people would actually pay a price to free slaves from their chains. Now if you've been burdened by sin, what we know very well is that, hey, those past things, they come with chains. They hold us down. They bind us each and every day. Jesus doesn't say, hey, I'll forgive you in eternity, but live with those each and every day. No, he has given us redemption, freedom to be made something new. Some of us may return our old Coke cans where we take something that is empty and useless and crumpled and we redeem it for something of value. For us in sin, slaves of sin, brokenness, we are worth nothing of value. But God takes our brokenness and he is a redeemer. And through the cross of Christ, he gives us the hope of new things. For those of us who are burdened with our past, we need to understand this, that Jesus gives us redemption. He's taken the guilt. He's taken the shame. He gives us new life, the hope of eternity that begins here and now. Another big word that it says is that he has made him a propitiation by his blood. Propitiation, what in the world does that mean? It's a word that means that the wrath of God has been satisfied. We sang it in Christ alone. By the cross of Christ, God's wrath has been satisfied. God's wrath burns against sin. It must as a holy God. And so he can't just swipe away sin. But Jesus took the full brunt of that on the cross. Roman crucifixion, an awful, horrible thing where Jesus was mocked, where he was beaten, where he was stripped naked, where he was brutally nailed, where his blood flowed down from every part of his body. And it's a picture of the price, the wrath against sin But we need to remember that Jesus took that wrath. He took our guilt. He took our shame. He took our nakedness. He took the mocking that would come against us once and for all. And God's wrath has been satisfied. Now, these are big words. I said it was going to be dense. But we want to get a view of who Jesus is and what it is that he has accomplished. And how it is available to us. And it's very clear. It's not by trying to earn this. But God has given us all this by grace as a gift. Through faith. 
These words, justification, redemption, propitiation, they come to us through faith in Christ, not by trying to earn them. So really it comes down to where is our trust? Are we trusting in ourselves? Are we seeing who Jesus is and how he's accomplished? And in the midst of our struggle, in our brokenness, are we coming to trust and believe on his name? Now, I know Paul said this in 1 Corinthians, that the word of the cross, these things that I'm talking about, they are folly to those who are perishing. They don't make sense to a world. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. These words, logically, they seem like folly. What do they mean to you? What are they coming to mean not only in your head but also in your heart? Everyone who has come to believe and trust in Jesus. If you're new with us, this is what you need to know. As a bunch of Christians, we're not perfect people. We haven't got it all figured out. But somebody who comes to trust in Jesus has a story. And I think... <coughs> When it comes down to our story, see, Paul was an intellectual guy who, who wrote all these logical things, but in some of his other books, you'll also read uh, where he recognized and said, I was the worst of sinners. And he talks about his story. And for those of us, as we grapple and question through these things, we need to remember our story. And if you've trusted in Jesus, you, you know that. See, I grew up as a church kid. I knew all about Jesus and, and kind of grew in the knowledge as I went. But when I got on in my life and when I got to college, it didn't matter what I knew in my head because I didn't live it in my heart. And so I lived away apart from God, not pursuing the things that God had for me, but pursuing other things in life. And I tell you, I mean, it's... It's a list that I'm fully ashamed of. That if we're to be listed on the screen behind me or to recount it, it would be the guilt and the shame that I wouldn't want anybody to know about. The ways that I lived in those days. But when I came to understand and remember that in the midst of that pit and that brokenness, the truth of Jesus was still there. I tell you, in the midst of that sin, in the midst of that feeling, coming to grasp the grace of Jesus. See, for those of us who have sinned much, we feel the need much more for grace and forgiveness. And when we hear these truths, well, that is when we reach out and we understand our desperate need for God. Because before him, we can't stand among other people, let alone before a holy God. But yet to hear the truth of Christ all over again. That he loves sinful people no matter where we've been. And he has a hope and an eternity for us. Well, that is where it transforms us. Where knowledge of his grace. Where it says, God, I'm desperate for you. I need you. You have made a way. I want to follow after you. And if we are here this morning and we know Christ, we need to remember our story. I mean, I really have two hopes this morning for you in this message. Some of you have been feeling the brokenness of your sin. You've never really known what this truth of the gospel is. 
what Jesus has done for you. Being grappling through questions of how do I get here and there. But maybe today, not because I'm speaking in eloquence or, or wisdom, uh, but because uh, today may be the day where God reveals himself to you and uh, lets you know that you need Jesus and that he will open your eyes and open your heart. My prayer is that today some of you would reach out to him and come to know him and have faith and trust in him. My other hope would be for those of us who once upon a time we did really grasp that reality. And we recognized our sin. And we recognized our need for Jesus. And whether it was uh, in front of a stage in a church or in our bedroom on our knees or in the middle of a football field or wherever it may have been, we got on our knees and we cried out to God and he met us. Not an idea, not a philosophy, not a good emotion, but our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ came and, and he wrapped his arms around you and he ministered to you and you felt that newness of life. But as you have Followed after him, the years have gotten hard, struggles with sin are still there. You're dealing with ongoing guilt and shame and depression and anxiety. And so you're living in that. And you've forgotten the Jesus who came and died for your sin, justified you, redeemed you, was a propitiation for you. And if we come and we grasp that, that no matter what you've been doing this past week, today, if you are in Jesus, God looks down at you and he declares you perfect. You stand in his grace and you can come to him. If you are not feeling very redeemed, you're feeling still enclosed by the chains of your past. Well, maybe today you'll remember that Jesus came and once and for all broke those chains, gave you victory on the cross, that sin cannot hold you down. It didn't hold him down. And if you trust in him, he will bring you freedom and newness from your past. Or maybe you're sitting here, you're just fearful of God day after day. So instead of running to him, you run from him. But maybe this morning you'll remember that God put all of his wrath on his very own son, Jesus Christ, once and for all. And so that wherever you are, instead of running back over that bridge, running from God, we can run to him and receive from him all that he wants to bestow on us. It's only through faith and belief in Jesus Christ, God who has eternally existed, come to us, walk fully as a man, raised fully as man, fully as God, alive today, ready to come and to minister to you as you need. So Jesus, we recognize who you are. Jesus, I pray that right now through your spirit, you would open our eyes to see you as you truly are. In the midst of all of our questions, in the midst of all of our struggles, Jesus, that we would see you. And in the light of your glorious grace, everything else might fade away. That Jesus, right now, we could grasp our need for you, the grace that you have given us, and that you call us to come. That God, that you took the first step in reaching out to us. God, I pray for those here who have known you, 
and have walked with you, but they're feeling lost right now. They're feeling distant from you. They're feeling stuck in their sin, bound down by their past. Jesus, I pray that your cross would be fully in view for them right now, that they would see all over again what you accomplished for them and that you want to come and minister to them. And Jesus, we pray that through your spirit, you would come and be with your people right now. Jesus, for those that are here that don't know you, that maybe came here because they're feeling broken, feeling bogged down, or maybe they didn't even know what they were coming here for, that Jesus, they would see you, not just the things that they would do, but they would see who you are. That you would open their eyes, open their hearts to receive you, to trust in you. Jesus, we need you. So we look to your cross. Come minister to your people. In your name, amen.